Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here and to know those of you that are joining us online. If you are new here, my name is Paul Graham. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Lakeside. And we're continuing a series that we've started this summer on doctrine. Uh, the doctrines of what we believe and why they are important. And as you may have gathered this morning, we are talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, as usual, I give a few other resources at the beginning of this if you want to follow along. Uh, many of you have uh, the Concise Theology book, which is a very slim volume on many points of doctrine. And if you have this book in your family, you are looking at pages 143 to 145 and 226 to 228, where Packer talks about the spirit and spiritual gifts. If you're looking for prior sermons on the Holy Spirit that I may have done in 2014, I did the Holy Spirit, our advocate. You can look for that on the website. And in 2016, I did the media and agency of the Holy Spirit, among many others. And I remember preaching that sermon, and I cannot believe that six years ago. I preached that sermon like maybe two and a half years ago. I'm pretty sure in my mind. Wow. Okay. So there's some other sermons that you can look at. And the reason I give you those is that traditionally when people preach on the Holy Spirit and when I've preached on the Holy Spirit, I've had to preach on a very narrow band of this is what the Spirit is we're talking about today. And uh, today, because we're talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be covering a fair amount of territory. And uh, so I am going to pause at times to sort of summarize or apply the things that we cover, but it is going to be a fairly broad look at the comprehensiveness of the presence of the Holy Spirit in Scripture and in our lives and what he does. Now, one of the things that's interesting as we continue this series on the Holy Spirit um, is the Holy Spirit traditionally in doctrine and in the history of the church has occupied kind of a strange place from century to century. Um, The Father, we understand, I mean, he's God, we get it. Jesus, his son comes and Jesus is also God, we get that, that's very relatable. He's God in human form, he's the son, there's the Father and the Son, they're both God. But then there's the Holy Spirit, and when quite often in the history of the church and also in ourselves, we don't really know what to do with the Holy Spirit. He's a little bit like that weird uncle that shows up at the family reunion, and you know he's part of the family, but he's into yoga, and he's vegan, and you're not sure what to do with him. And I'm just being honest, that is kind of like the Holy Spirit in a lot of our lives. We love him, but he makes us a little uncomfortable. No matter how smart or wise he is, we just don't know how to deal with him. And that's the way it's been in church history. The very beginning, Father, the Son, everybody understood this. Early church fathers wrestled with what to do about the Holy Spirit, because even the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit in kind of different ways. And the Holy Spirit, by his very nature, keeps deflecting attention away from himself. As you're going to discover as we go through this uh, scripture, almost from cover to cover, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit a lot, but we're going to also discover that we rarely think of the Holy Spirit a lot in a lot of these instances. And you can track the rise and fall of our Christian comfort and clarity with the Holy Spirit in the life of the church historically, from the early church fathers wrestling with who he was as a person, whether he was the grace of God, the power of God, the word of God, whatever it is. Um, Then you had the Reformation, which firmly, you know, enthroned the Holy Spirit in the triune God, the Trinity. 
You have the Pentecostal movement and the Azusa Street revivals where the Holy Spirit rightfully in many regards took his prominent place in the spirit and in the life of the church. This is the new covenant. This is the spirit age. Um, then you've got like Baptocostals and Charismatics with a seatbelt and, you know, people who raise both hands, people who raise one hand, people who are like lifting a TV, you know, as Trip Hawking says, you know, there's all over the place, all over the map with where the Holy Spirit is supposed to fit into our lives. But it is important that we have a comprehensive understanding of the presence and pervasiveness of the person of the Holy Spirit all through Scripture and his presence in the Trinitarian nature of our God and in every work of God up to and including the present age of the church. And we especially have to understand the Spirit's unique role and presence in the new covenant and in those who are recipients of the new covenant if the Old Testament in your mind was kind of the era of the prevalence and, and you know, the, the, the figure of God the Father at the forefront, and, and the Gospels are kind of the era of Jesus at the forefront, then the church age, the last 2,000 years since Pentecost, is the area, era of the prevalence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is active now like never before in the redemptive history of the world. And as Christians, we do not want to lack the power and work of the Holy Spirit that God intends for each of his children. Nor do we want to forsake the specific hope that the Holy Spirit embodies to those people of the world who don't know him at all yet. And so as we consider the doctrine of the Holy Spirit today, let's just lean into everything we can know and everything we can understand about the Holy Spirit and where he is at work in the world and where he is at work in the church and in us. Uh, Let me just pray before we do that. Father, we come now before you. We come to worship you in spirit and in truth. We come to read your word, which the Spirit guided the prophets and the apostles to write. We come to understand you, the depths of which only the Spirit understands. We come to have your word revealed to us, and spiritual things can only be discerned by spiritual people. And so we come, not unironically, with all of these requests that the Holy Spirit would be at work. Because if the Holy Spirit is not working here, we're not able to do any of it. And so, Father, we just depend on you and the gift of your Holy Spirit that you've given through your Son, Jesus, this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So, first of all, we should establish the co-equality in nature and essence of the Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I'm going to assume you understand that we're Trinitarian believers, that we understand not necessarily understand the Trinity, but that we trust in the reality of the three-part personhood of God. And when it comes to the doctrine of the Trinity, we generally begin in the New Testament because it was with the incarnation of the Son and His declaration that He and the Father were one and that He is co-eternal with the Father and God's proclamation that Jesus is His own Son, that the nature of the Trinity becomes to come into light. And so it's also in the New Testament that we see that the Holy Spirit is included in the Father and the Son. We see where, as we survey through a few of the following verses, like in Acts chapter 5, Peter says to a church member at the time, he says, Ananias, you have lied to the Holy Spirit, in verse 3, and in the next verse he says, you have not lied to man, but to God. So to to Peter, to lie to the Holy Spirit was to lie to God. It's the same thing because the Holy Spirit is God. Or Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? 
And so for the Apostle Paul, to be indwelt by God was the same to be indwelt by the Spirit. To be indwelt by the Spirit was the same thing as to be the dwelling place of God. In Hebrews 9.14, the Spirit is called the eternal Spirit. Well, only God is eternal. And so if the Spirit of God is eternal and the Spirit is eternal, then the Spirit is God. So the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God, and he is a personality. This is another thing to check off fairly quickly as we go through the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We understand that the Holy Spirit is not a power, not a force, not just an attribute of God. The Holy Spirit is the person of God. The Holy Spirit is spoken of in scriptures in personal terms, the same way the Father and the Son are. The Greek word that's used for spirit is pneuma, and it's interesting because pneuma is a gender-neutral term. Greek is one of those languages, unlike English, that genders its nouns, and pneuma is gender-neutral. So you would expect whenever the Bible speaks of the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, that it would use gender-neutral pronouns, but it doesn't. Consistently, the Greek pronouns used with the Holy Spirit are male, as if speaking of a person, referring to him as him. For instance, we have in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, in him, speaking of Jesus, you also were sealed in the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit's a who. It's a him. It's someone. We also see when Jesus is speaking in John 16, He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come, and he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, the Holy Spirit's not just a power, it's not just a force, he's he's a person, and he's going to do things on his own accord, with his own agency. He's going to glorify Jesus, he's going to take the things of Jesus and declare them. And so we establish confidently from Scripture that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God in three persons. And so to pray to the Holy Spirit is to pray to the Father and the Son. To the work and the aid of the Spirit is the work and the aid of God. The power of the Spirit is the power of God. The gifts of the Spirit are the gifts of God, and so forth. You can apply the Spirit to the Trinity of God. So let's consider then, if we have sort of the Holy Spirit kind of established, kind of in our mind there, there's the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, the personhood of God. He's a free agent, able to work and act. What does the Holy Spirit do? And how long has he been doing it? Well, we see there are some common threads, and you'll note some parallels and continuity here between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And I think it's important that we understand these parallels or this continuity, these similarities of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New to see that it is the same Spirit at work and that he has very specific things that he's involved in. So first of all, if we look in the Old Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit participates in creation. And this is one of those patterns that will continue, one of those things that are continuous between the Old and the New. It's this, the Spirit of God is present at beginnings. The Holy Spirit always seems to be there at the start of things. He takes an active role when things begin. Genesis 1-2 states that the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And it actually isn't until much later in the New Testament that we are told that Jesus was an integral agent of creation. 
Colossians 1.16 saying, for by him and for him all things were created. And so we often remember and we think of God the creator, that all things were created through the Son, but we kind of forget the Holy Spirit was there at creation right at the very beginning too. He was part of that. Holy Spirit gives words to prophets. He is the voice in many ways of the Father. He's present and active when the Father speaks. As God makes himself known to his people, it's by the Holy Spirit that these revelations come. We see in Ezekiel, it says, As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. You see, the prophet Ezekiel is saying it's the Holy Spirit that's that's speaking to me, and I'm giving you the words of the Spirit. And then Peter confirms in the New Testament, says, prophecy never has its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Old Testament prophecy and words came from the Spirit. Continuity again. We see that the Holy Spirit also gives gifts, skills and gifts. There. Holy Spirit always seems to be empowering people to do things, not just in the church, as we'll see in the spiritual gifts shortly, but he's been up to that task in the Old Testament as well. In appointing uh, Bezalel to construct and furnish the tabernacle, God said, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Exodus 31. This guy got a lot of gifts. Like, I would settle for one of those. I don't have any of them. This guy gets them all. But you see, the Holy Spirit is there empowering people with gifts, even in the Old Testament. And even as I was doing this study, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. I forgot the Holy Spirit was up to those things, even in the Old Testament. He's also there with granting authority and administration Pharaoh, for instance, recognizes the Spirit of God in Joseph when he appoints him as second of command over all of Egypt in Genesis 41-38. And then Moses needing assistance in leading the people of Israel, part of the Spirit was actually taken from him and given to others. Who remembers this? It says, then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took of the Spirit that was on him, being Moses, and put the Spirit on the 70 elders. So so here's Moses with this, some filling of the Holy Spirit, some portion of the Spirit. God comes down and says, hey, I need to spread that out a little bit so that you also have authority, so you also have administration, so you also have wisdom to lead. The Holy Spirit is there in the granting of the offices of the church and in the granting of authority. It's just what he does. And perhaps this is most dramatically seen in in the series of Judges, Othniel in Judges 3.10, Gideon in Judges 6.34, Samson especially in Judges 14.19. All of the leaders of Israel had a special anointing or presence of the Holy Spirit on them as they led the people of God. And the Spirit seemed to be placed or came upon specific individuals uniquely at specific times to empower them in the Old Testament. But we also see there's another thing that the Spirit did in the Old Testament. He enabled righteousness and righteous activity. When the Spirit is poured out, we read in Isaiah 32, the result of the Spirit being poured out on the people in Isaiah is justice and righteousness and peace, verses 16 to 20 says. And then devotion to the Lord results from the outpouring of the Spirit, Isaiah continues in 44, 3 to 5. And so, 
part of the job, part of the work, part of the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to enable righteous living, to enable justice, to enable peace and unity. That comes from the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And then the Holy Spirit himself is anticipated to have even a greater role in the New Covenant age. This is all in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, looking forward to the New Covenant. In Jesus and his followers, and it speaks to his followers in Luke 4, 18 to 21, he quotes the opening verses of Isaiah 61, and he says those opening verses of Isaiah 61 where the Spirit is going to be poured out are now fulfilled in him, and he is the one on whom the Spirit of God rests. But then most profoundly, perhaps, is Joel. In Joel, well, I'm going the wrong way. There we go. In Joel, in Joel 2, we're told, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And this is the prophecy that the Apostle Peter quotes directly after Pentecost, when Christ ascends and the Spirit comes down on the disciples in powerful ways, and they're speaking in tongues, and the fire is on them, and Peter says, this prophecy is now fulfilled. The Holy Spirit has come in a new covenant age, in a church age. So we see the Holy Spirit here throughout the Old Testament, throughout scriptures, is at work constantly. And I'll be honest, as I was looking in the Old Testament, I was not expecting to see the Holy Spirit show up as much as he did. And I, and I honestly admit that I forget how often, and we often forget how often, the Holy Spirit is at work in every part of what God is doing. And why would we be surprised by that? Because the Holy Spirit is God. But it just seems to be the very nature of the Holy Spirit to be at work and in the middle of everything, but kind of not being noticed and deflecting attention and saying, look at the Father, look at the Son. That's where your attention should be. I'm just here doing my thing. You look at them. And so that's why he has this kind of unusual place in the Trinity in our minds, because we don't see him as often as we should. But you bring it forward and we see the work of the Holy Spirit continues and there's continuity with Jesus. Remember how the Holy Spirit is always there at the beginning? Well, he's there at the beginning of the Messiah as well with his birth. How does God get his plan of atonement rolling with Jesus? The angel tells Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Holy Spirit's right there at the beginning again. Creates the world, got to get the Messiah going, going to be there too. Getting the Messiah going. He's there empowering ministry again. He anoints Jesus' ministry. Says Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. Later on in Acts, Paul says something similar. He says the power of the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus of Nazareth. You can't put it any more plainly. Jesus worked out his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then... The Spirit is there at his resurrection as well. Paul says it a couple places, but he says it very plainly in Romans 8.11. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. So cover to cover in the Old Testament, cover to cover in the Gospels, Holy Spirit's there. Holy Spirit's always working. He's always active in whatever is going on. The Holy Spirit is present 
in these things. Jesus was born, lived, worked in the power of the Spirit, was raised by the Spirit. There just isn't much the Holy Spirit doesn't have a hand in from Genesis to the end of the Gospels. And again, why would we be surprised that God in all three of his persons is not at work in all things? And yet, right up to this point, probably much of what we've seen as the work and the agency of the Spirit in Scripture is largely overlooked or not thought of regularly because the Spirit just has this way of being there but not being the center of attention. But of course, if that was ever to change, if the Spirit was ever to take center stage, so to speak, if that was possible in the Trinity, then this would be now the time when the Holy Spirit would do that. This is the church age. This is the time of the Spirit. In the Gospel of John, in chapters 14 to 16, Jesus gives a long message to his disciples in preparation for his disciples. And he repeatedly tells them to expect the paraclete, the helper, the counselor, the guide, the spirit to come to them. And he even says that he has to leave so that the spirit can come in a new way. The spirit is present. The spirit's been on earth before. The spirit has filled Moses and the 70 elders. The spirit has filled the judges. The spirit can come. But Jesus says, something different's going to happen here, disciples. I'm going to go, and in fact, I have to go so that the Spirit can come. He's going to come now in a new way like you've never seen before, and the church age is the Spirit living in and working through his people like at no other time in history. So as we consider the doctrine of the Holy Spirit then, we consider the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, in the church, and in us, those who believe in Christ Jesus. Well, you remember how the Holy Spirit shows up at the beginning of things? Church is no exception. The beginning of the church. The Holy Spirit's there at the beginning of things, and in many ways the church can literally be described as the body of people in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. And the church we described last week, if you were here last week, and we talked about all the amazing blessings and mercies and graces that flow through the church, the reality of the church as God's intention and as Jesus' body, that church cannot exist, could not exist until Jesus had ascended to be its head, we're told in Ephesians 1.20. And the Spirit could not come as promised to impart the power, the gifts, and the offices unless Jesus had gone. And we see that in Ephesians 4, 7 to 12. We are made one body of Christ by the Spirit, Paul says, for in one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. And so it is not an exaggeration, it is not incorrect to say the church exists because the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And that is the day the church was founded because the Spirit of God came to inhabit his people. The church, the Spirit was there at the beginning of the church. But not just that, the Spirit is also present and responsible for the beginning of our rebirth and becoming new creations as Christians. He's responsible in our regeneration. As we looked at in depth a few weeks ago, Titus 3.5 says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit just can't resist being there right at the start of things. He's at the beginning of creation, he's at the birth of Christ, he's starting the church, and he's the one who's responsible for our regeneration and the beginning of our life in Christ and becoming image bearers of God and our renewal and all of that stuff. The Holy Spirit just wants to be there at the beginning of everything. And he does it, he starts it all. But not only is he there at the beginning, just like in Jesus, just like in the people of God, just like in the church, he continues on through the middle. 
He is there as our seal and our guarantee through our Christian life. The Holy Spirit remains in us to be a guarantee of our salvation. Ephesians 1 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, regeneration, you believed, you were made a new creation, you received the Holy Spirit, and you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit's in the middle of things as well, and we're going to see how much more he's doing than just sealing and guaranteeing. But then he's there at the end again. He's there for our resurrection. The Spirit raised Christ from the dead and will also raise us. God will raise us through the Spirit, Romans 8 says. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to you, your mortal bodies, through his Spirit who lives in you. The Holy Spirit's just everywhere. It doesn't matter where you go in the Bible, doesn't matter what activity of God you are looking at, doesn't matter what is going on, you look around long enough, you find the Holy Spirit is involved somehow. He's in there working at all times in every aspect of God's redemptive plan of history, in creation, in the church, in us. The Holy Spirit is always there at work. And yet again, I'll be honest, I rarely think of just how pervasive the work of the Holy Spirit is. All through Scripture, all through the church, all through my life. There's nothing he's not touching. There's nothing he's not doing. There's nothing he's not up to. So the Holy Spirit is involved in all of these. And he's providing the means by which they happen. But not only in terms of these three things I just talked about, our regeneration, our seal, and our resurrection... He's not just involved in seeing those things come about because it's, in terms of our regeneration, you realize it's the Holy Spirit that has had sovereign authority in your life for all the encounters, all the conversations, all the ways your heart and your mind responded to the gospel. He, the Holy Spirit was responsible for leading you up to your regeneration. So it's not just that. It's not just that he manages the circumstances around you. Remember, Titus 3.5 says, the Holy Spirit does your regeneration. He actually works in you to wash you, to make you a new creation. It's the same thing with our seal and our guarantee. The Holy Spirit works, as we're going to see shortly, in our Christian walk, in our discipleship. He gives us opportunity to act out of the Spirit rather than the flesh. He, he, he destroys our bondage to sin so that we can be set free. He does a lot of things in order for us to walk our Christian walk. But, but the seal and the guarantee is something that the Holy Spirit literally does on his own, in his agency, he seals and guarantees that we will be glorified if we have been justified. That's him doing that. That's not us. So our regeneration, he does it. Our guarantee, he is it. Our resurrection, same thing. I can guarantee you, we can't do anything about our resurrection. The Holy Spirit does it. Holy Spirit brings us to life. Holy Spirit is responsible for our glorification. He's going to give us perfect bodies. He's going to give us a sin-free existence where everything that is wrong will become untrue, as Tim Keller says. Everything that is wrong and harmful and hurtful in us and in the world is going to become untrue by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, he does that. So those are things the Holy Spirit is, just has all the agency to do. But while he is sealing and guarding our faith, the Spirit is present and active everywhere in the in-between of our spiritual rebirth and our future glorification. What else is the Holy Spirit doing? And here's where you're going to start to see the continuity with the Old Testament and how the Holy Spirit is just up to the same old tricks. 
He's delivering scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That God-breathed is the Spirit of God going out into scripture. And as we saw in 2 Peter already, that prophecy never comes from man, but is comes from God as men are carried along by the Holy Spirit. Well, he's teaching and guiding. Just like Moses needed help, we need help. John chapters 14 to 16, that big discourse that Jesus is giving to the disciples, a big part of it, he's talking about the guidance and teaching and wisdom and truth that's going to come from the Holy Spirit. He says that they will receive guidance, the paraclete, and then we see that in actions in Acts 16, 28, just as one example. Uh, all the apostles and the disciples are getting together and they're trying to work out, okay, Jesus is gone, the church is formed, Christians are doing things, we need to give them some wisdom, they're asking us for advice. And so they gather together at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 and it's kind of neat. You get to see the church kind of in action and the Holy Spirit working. And those disciples rely on the Holy Spirit to bring to their mind and to remembrance the wisdom and truth that was from Jesus. And so they say, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And then they go on to explain to say, you don't have to be circumcised anymore. You know, that's not, that's not where your salvation comes from. It doesn't come from works of the law. But you see, the The guiding of the Holy Spirit was present there at the beginning of the church. The guiding of the Holy Spirit is there for us today. And I'll just pause here to just talk a little bit about how even over history and different denominations, different Christians view these types of things and these works of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I was was kind of joking about kind of the Bapticostals and the Charismatics with a seatbelt and the you know, the Pentecostals, and then you have the cessationists who say the Holy Spirit doesn't do some of the miraculous things anymore. That was for a time and, and now it's over. But you see, even, even, if, even if you're at Lakeside, the elders wouldn't necessarily say, you know, I've had a revelation and God has given me a word and I need to speak this word to you. It is from the Holy Spirit at this elders meeting. They might not phrase it that way, but if you were to ask our elders, does the Holy Spirit, does God speak to us? Is the Holy Spirit guiding us as we pray, as we, as we thoughtfully discuss, as, we, as iron sharpens iron and as we look at the word of God and consider Is the Holy Spirit guiding and teaching us? Absolutely. Does he give me or you a sentence to speak that we must hear that sentence? Maybe, maybe not. Is that impossible for the Holy Spirit to do? No. Holy Spirit can do that. God, I would never put limits on how God can act. (laughs) He can act however God wants to act. But is that how the Holy Spirit expresses himself to us? Not normally. But not exclusively one way or the other. And so this is where... In church history, in different denominations, in different Christian walks, there has been unity in some regard and also differences in terms of how we see the Holy Spirit accomplishing the same work in our lives. Does the Holy Spirit heal? Absolutely, God is a healer. Does anybody here doubt that God does not heal miraculously? He does. How he heals miraculously, how that gift manifests itself, we may have differences. There's no doubt to me, that the Holy Spirit and those gifts manifest themselves in the church. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But we see here the Holy Spirit teaching and guiding. We also see the indwelling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. 
Again, going back to those important chapters of John, 14 to 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This is the paraclete. This is the spirit of truth. This is the counselor. He is indwelling and empowering and helping us. He goes on in verse 17 to say, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's a new thing. That's an exciting thing, that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling with us and in us like never before in the history of the world. He's interceding on our behalf and working. Romans 8 26 says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so the Holy Spirit even intercedes and works on our behalf as we pray, as we serve, as we work. And you remember in the Old Testament in Isaiah how when the Spirit came on people, you know, the people became more righteous? Well, the Holy Spirit aids in our sanctification as well. Going on in Romans 8, Paul lays out the work of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of of Romans chapter 8. And I I won't quote it, but if you look at those verses at the very beginning of Romans chapter 8, believers do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, he says in verse 4, and then having their minds set on the Spirit in verse 5, Christians are to be in the Spirit in verse 9, and the Spirit dwells in them, the last half of verse 9. And so the Spirit is aiding in our sanctification. The Spirit aids us in our righteousness, in our justice, in our mercy, in the outpouring of God's love. And then, of course, cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. The the Spirit grants to us fruit, which is love, and all the various sort of facets of love that manifest themselves as fruit. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And so as believers who have received the Spirit, who have Him aiding us, we have this fruit growing in our life. And we see these things cultivated and flourishing as we walk through our sanctification and see the fruit of the Spirit growing. And then, of course, obviously, too, giving gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. It's the Spirit who gives the gifts, and he decides who gets what. So you go back to Bezaliel and you complain about the fact that he gets like working in wood and metal and jewels and all of that stuff. It's like, Holy Spirit, yeah, that was my choice. I gave him all that stuff. And you say, well, Paul, how come you can't hold a tune, but, you know, Benton and Allison and everybody can sing so well? It's like, yeah, I gave them that gift. That's not your gift. You know, you have your gift. I've given it to you. You have your place to serve in the church. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and if I go away, the Spirit will come to you. So Jesus says, these gifts that you're going to get from the Spirit are going to allow you to do the things that I do. Not only that, but even greater things, because I'm going to be gone, and you're going to be here on earth, and there's going to be like another four billion people that you need to reach. And so you're going to be growing this church like I couldn't even do through the gifts and through the power of the Spirit, because I've gone so that the Spirit can come to you. Now, even as I just do this survey, you can see that 
any one of these topics, our messages are four or five messages in and of themselves, and you'll find those sermons on our website. But what you can see from this is the pervasive presence of the Holy Spirit in every aspect of our Christian walk, indwelling us as temples of God, inhabiting the church, granting its gifts, the power, the officers, the blessing that comes to us, all comes through the Holy Spirit. But at this point, I think it's important that we have to just pause for a minute and consider what the Holy Spirit doesn't do. Because you can read that and you can think, man, I'm just going to ride the Holy Spirit. And you should just ride that Holy Spirit wave. That's how you live your life. But let's be clear what the Holy Spirit doesn't do. The Holy Spirit does not read your Bible for you. All right? You need to read it. The Holy Spirit's inspired it. The Holy Spirit's provided it. Holy Spirit has it sitting on your bedside table, but you have to read it. The Holy Spirit is able to bring to your remembrance the things spoken by Jesus, but you have to actually know the things that are spoken by Jesus in order for the Holy Spirit to have you remember them. He can't remind you of things you do not know. The Holy Spirit has set you free from sin and gives you the ability to walk in the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does not prevent you from sinning or do your walking for you. If you sin, understand this, you cannot blame either the devil for making you sin, nor can you blame the Holy Spirit for not preventing you. He has given you the power. He has broken the bonds of sin. He has given you the fruit of the Spirit. He has given you the power of the Spirit so that you do not need to sin, but you ultimately need to walk your walk. The Holy Spirit does not exercise your gift. He's given you the gift, but he does not teach Sunday school. The Holy Spirit does not run VBS. The Holy Spirit does not evangelize or disciple your friends. The Holy Spirit does not lead your small group. The Holy Spirit does not even empty the garbage cans in the church. You do. You have the gifts, but you need to use them. The Holy Spirit doesn't pray without you. He helps you when you pray. He even prays alongside you on your behalf. He will pray things you don't even know you're praying and don't even know you need to pray. But he doesn't pray without you. You need to be praying to receive the Holy Spirit's assistance in that. The Holy Spirit reveals the mind and wisdom of God, but won't force you to follow what he has revealed. You have to apply the wisdom of God to your life. And finally, the Holy Spirit does not make everyone exactly the same. You can read the things about the Holy Spirit, and you can think, he's restoring our image-bearing of God. We're becoming more and more Christ-like. That means we're all going to be the same. The Holy Spirit does not make everybody the same. We've been explicitly told that the Holy Spirit gives different people different gifts. And so as a church, do not be surprised when other people in the church care about something different than you care about. The church provides, or sorry, the Holy Spirit provides unity in the body of Christ, but not sameness across the whole body of Christ. We all have different sin. We all have different history. We all have different things, different graces, different mercies that we need. And the Holy Spirit comes to each of us uniquely and says, here is how you need to act in the Spirit. That other person may act differently in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not make us all the same, but in fact makes us unique. The Spirit allows unity, but we must practice it in our differences that are Holy Spirit-driven differences. Just like the church that he started and inhabits, the Holy Spirit is a means of the many blessings of God, but you must learn about those blessings and use them. 
In conclusion, if, if I was to summarize the necessity and importance of what the Holy Spirit, as we've seen him described from the Old Testament to the, to the New, I think I would summarize it these two ways. First of all, to the Christian who has the presence of the Holy Spirit in them, I would say the necessity and importance is to attend to him, to daily receive his blessing and apply his power, the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit to every aspect of your discipleship. The Holy Spirit is the very Spirit of Christ by which we live our lives as renewed image bearers of God. And so if you're a Christian here today and you have the Holy Spirit, then don't be like me and forget about him for days at a time. Lean into the Holy Spirit every day. Pray to him. Ask for his presence. Ask for the greater gifts. The Bible tells us to. Who are you going to ask for the greater gifts? Maybe the gift giver, the Holy Spirit. Who are you going to ask for the fruit of the Spirit? Maybe the fruit giver, the Holy Spirit. Pray to him. Lean into him. Remember him. I know he wants to deflect attention to the Father and the Son, but he is part of the Trinity. And he is the power over sin, and he is the bondage breaker, and he is the counselor, the helper, the guide, the teacher. So lean into knowing the Spirit and what he is doing and what he has done for you. And as you do that, you will discover the assurance of your sealed salvation grow. But secondarily, to those who have not yet experienced that new birth, who have not received the Holy Spirit yet, not put all of your hope in God and trust in Him in order to have that regeneration and have that presence of God in you by His Spirit, then to you I would say the Holy Spirit is a promise. The Holy Spirit is a gift waiting for you. The Holy Spirit is the answer to those questions. How can I live the impossible life God calls me to? How can I feel joy again when I am so sad, when I'm so depressed, when I'm so broken? How can my hurts be healed when I am so wounded? How can I ever be set free from decades of addiction or abuse or anger or hatred? How is it possible that I can be a new creation? The answer is the Holy Spirit. Amen, Amen indeed. The Holy Spirit of God himself is the answer to all of those questions that you are asking yourself right now. The Holy Spirit is the hope that all things can be and will be made new, including you. And the Holy Spirit is freely given to all who trust in Jesus for their salvation. So for those of you that don't have the Holy Spirit, he's a gift, he's a promise, he's the hope that you can be made new. Your wounds can be healed. Your sin can be forgiven. Your shame can be turned into righteousness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we know he's doing it, trying to just put all the attention on Jesus, and we absolutely put all our attention on Jesus, but we know your Holy Spirit is at work. Father, just as you loved us so much that you sent the Son, just as the Son loved us so much that he died for us and was resurrected, we know that the Holy Spirit loves us so much that he wants us regenerated and sanctified and glorified. And the Holy Spirit will not cease until that is perfected. And so we thank you for your love that comes to us, not just in three ways, but in 300,000 ways, through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray for any who do not have the Spirit here today that they would recognize him as the promise, as the gift, as the answer to those questions. The Holy Spirit is the way they will be made new, that their wounds will be healed, that their sins will be forgiven, that they will reclaim their image-bearing of God 
in all of your glory, for your glory and for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.